we're going to look at verse 28 and following this morning. I've been feeling like as we've been working our way through Romans uh, chapter 8 that it just keeps getting better and better. And I uh, look forward actually to Sunday mornings to be able to share these wonderful truths with you from God's Word. And today is a tremendous passage that talks about God's love for us and how we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us so. Listen to this passage of Scripture. Paul writes, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined, to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is He that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, what a powerful passage of Scripture this is that speaks of Your great love for us as Your children. That tells us of all that You have done and how You are a God who is on our side. A God who cares about us. A God who has a plan for our life. A God from whom we can never be separated. Thank You for that. May You, by Your Holy Spirit today, encourage our hearts and bless each one who is here this morning as we consider these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the great themes of the book of Romans is the security of the believer. We see that especially in, in Romans chapter 5 through chapter 8. And the beginning of chapter 5 and the end of chapter 8 stand like bookends to emphasize this theme. It begins in chapter 5, verse 1, by saying, Therefore there is now no Excuse me. <laughs> Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been reconciled to Him. And at the end of Romans 8, verse 39, he tells us that there is nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have been reconciled to Him and we can never be separated from His love. In between, Paul tells us how we are to live the Christian life. 
He tells us that we are to count ourselves as dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. He tells us that we are to put to death the misdeeds of the body, the sinful nature, and instead we are to live and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit each and every day. In chapter 8, Paul tells us that there are things we don't know in this life. For example, in verse 26, he tells us that we don't know what we ought to pray for at all times. We don't always know what God's will is for our life or how He may be working in our circumstances. But God has a plan for our life. And the Holy Spirit intercedes for us at all times according to the will of God. And then just two verses later in chapter 8, he tells us that there are things that we do know. We know that God is always at work for our good. What an amazing thing that is. I mean, these words were written to give us assurance of our salvation. Assurance as believers that God is for us. Can you say those last four words with me? God is for us. Say it again. God is for us. That is the confidence that God wants us to have as we live our life in a relationship with Him. That He is always at work for our good. In fact, that's how Paul begins this passage of Scripture. He tells us that God is at work for our good in every situation. Look at verse 28 once again. He says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. When he says we know, that word know means that we can know with certainty or with confidence that this is what God is doing in our life and in our world. He is at work in all things, in every situation in life. He is at work for our good. He is not saying that all things that happen are good in and of themselves. Now, there are tragedies that occur in our world. There are difficulties. There are trials. There are hardships. There are afflictions. There's persecution. Paul doesn't avoid the reality of all those things that are true in our world. But he does tell us that his power is so great. God's power is so great that he can even take those things that are schemes of the evil one and use them for our good. And He will use them to bring glory to Himself. He does it in our life just like He did with Joseph in days of old when Joseph was sold into slavery, but God used it for good to preserve the life of His brothers and His people. This is a promise that is for those who love Him. It is for the believer. It's for those who have been called according to His purpose. And what an incredible promise that is. And what great confidence it should give us to know that God is always at work for our good. Now, I know that it's hard to feel like that when you've lost your job. It's hard to feel like that when you're dealing with cancer. It's hard to feel like that when you may be struggling in your marriage or with an issue with your children. And I know that there are people who have wrestled with that deeply in our world and at times have rejected God even. I remember reading a story about Ted Turner, who's the founder of CNN, the cable news network. 
And he shared once of an event in his life that really turned him away from God. He said that when he was young, he grew up in a God-fearing family, and he had a sister who was ill. And as her, as her illness progressed, he prayed for her. He prayed, and he asked God to heal her. He prayed that she would be well. But instead, she grew worse, and she died. And Ted Turner said that from then on, he knew, even as a kid, that there was no God up there. I mean, how could a God who loves us have allowed my sister to die? And he said from that day on, he determined that he would live his life depending upon himself and not on some unknown God. I wish that there had been someone there to help Ted Turner through that time, to deal with those feelings and beliefs. You see, at that point in his life, he really chose to believe the lie of Satan that there is no God. And sometimes children do that in their life when they go through difficult circumstances. Sometimes children, when parents get a divorce, feel like it's my fault and they internalize that and they say, I, I was the reason that they did that. And they carry that baggage in their heart. There are times when they've believed the lies of the enemy because they didn't know how to work through those things and understand what God may be doing in their life. There are people like that that you probably know as well who have turned their back on God because of something that was hurtful in their life. But the Bible tells us that God is great enough to even work through those circumstances and that God has a purpose for our life. That purpose began in eternity past. That God knew us before we were born and He called us to be His sons and daughters. His purpose is to make us like His Son, Jesus Christ. And He tells us that He will do it. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. There's a lot of theology in these verses that we are looking at. And those of you who understand a little bit about theology know that there's a debate that goes on between Calvinists and Arminians over how do you understand these things, and in particular, God's foreknowledge. John Calvin would say that God's foreknowledge and calling in our life are not based upon any merit in us. God did not choose us because we were better or we were more righteous than anyone else. God chose us because of His sovereign grace. John Wesley, who was an Arminian, would say that God foreknew those in every situation, in every nation, who would believe from the beginning of the world to the consummation of all things. As an Arminian, he would say that God's foreknowledge was based upon how we would respond to Him, and so God made His selection in that way. I believe that God's election and calling that the Scripture talks about are based upon God's sovereign grace. And the Scripture says that God predestined those He foreknew that we should be conformed to the likeness of His Son. And that Jesus would have this place of supremacy forever as the firstborn among many brethren. It is amazing to me that Jesus, the Son of God, would, would call us His brothers and sisters in Christ. That He loves us that much. 
And what we read about in these verses, in verses 29 and 30, are really an unbroken chain that extends from eternity past into eternity future. In eternity past, in the counsel of God, God foreknew and predestined those who would become His children. It was God's plan before the creation of the world. In this present age, He calls and He justifies everyone who comes to Him by faith in Jesus Christ. And in the future, we shall be glorified. God will make us like His Son. He will finish the work that He has begun in our life. And the way that Paul states it here, that those He justified, He also glorified, He is telling us that it is as good as done. In other words, all who start in this process finish 100%. All whom God calls, He justifies. And all that He justifies, He also glorifies. It is all dependent upon Him. It's God who does each one of these things in terms of His election, His predestination, His calling, His justifying, His glorifying. It's an amazing act of His grace. But how does God work that out in our life? Well, the process that God uses in this life to make us like Jesus involves suffering. It was true for Jesus. The Scripture says, "...in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering." This one who was without sin, Jesus Christ, identified with us and in that sense identified so much with us in our humanity, took upon Himself our struggles, our sin, and was made perfect, the Scripture says, through His suffering. And it is also true that in this life we shall suffer. Peter writes, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. But these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. God is refining us. He's testing us. He is proving us. And our faith is more precious to God than any gold. You know, you see, too, in this world how people respond to circumstances in very different ways. In contrast to how Ted Turner responded to a difficult circumstance in his life, I want to share with you a story on the other side. Most of you know who Tony Dungy is. He was the coach of the Indianapolis Colts football team and he recently retired from that position. Tony's a strong believer and a few years ago he experienced one of the most difficult things that any parent could ever go through. In the middle of the night he received a phone call that his son Jamie had taken his own life. They were devastated by what had happened. They wondered why and what it was that was going on in Jamie's life. And for reasons that will never fully be known, Jamie had taken his own life. When Tony Dungy came to that memorial service for his son, he wanted to speak at that service. And when he got up, he quoted from Psalm 34 these words of David, 
I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be in my mouth. And he went on to explain that when David wrote those words, David didn't write them in a time of triumph. David wrote those words when he was on the run from Saul, fleeing for his life in desperation. And even in those circumstances, David would say of God, I will bless the Lord at all times. He explained, how can we do that? Well, when Jamie was five years old, he accepted Christ as his Savior. And when Lauren, that's Tony's wife, and I would talk to him about his identity, about who he was and who he wanted to become, that, one, that was one thing that we could tell him for sure, for certain, that his identity was in Christ. And the Apostle Paul wrote that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And he said that's why we have joy today. We know that while we had him for 18 short years, God has him now, and he will have Jamie forever. What a difference faith makes in the way that we look at our circumstances. And even in the most painful and difficult circumstances of life, we may not understand all that God is doing, but we can trust him and put our faith in him. Paul tells us not only is God at work for our good in every situation, but he tells us that God freely provides all that we need in verses 31 to 34. What shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? There are many examples of God's promises to provide for us in Scripture. In Psalm 84.10, God says, No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus said that God knows all of our needs even before we pray. But he told us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all those things will be given to us as well. The Scripture tells us in Philippians 4.19, that my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It is not a small supply that God has. It is a huge supply that God has. And He is able to meet our needs as we look to Him and trust Him. In fact, this is an incredible promise in verses 31 and 32. I mean, the argument is really from the lesser to the greater. He's saying, you know, if God has already given us the greatest thing that He could ever give us, if He's already given us the most costly gift that He could give us, the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, will He not also meet all of those other lesser needs as well? Yes, He will. God is able to provide for us. He tells us too, that no one can bring a charge against us. Who will bring any charge against us when the only one whose verdict really matters has already saved us? I mean, if the judge before whom we will stand has already declared us not guilty and righteous in his sight, who's going to bring a charge against us? He reminds us that Jesus died for us. That's how much he loves us. And Jesus rose again. He is victorious over sin and death and Satan. 
Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. He has all power and authority, this One who loves us. And not only that, He is there to continually intercede for us. Father, forgive them. Father, bless them. Father, will You show them Your will. Father, will You guide and protect them. Jesus is there interceding on our behalf continually. Because we who have placed our faith in Him are His children. And as His children, God has promised to provide for us and He will allow nothing to condemn us. Remember what He said in Romans 8, verse 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God is for us. Many years ago when... Michael Card's children were young. He told this story about his daughter's childlike faith, and I want to read part of it to you. He said, It's 4.17 a.m., and our three-year-old is rolling around at the foot of our waterbed. The salesman went to great lengths to demonstrate that it was a waveless mattress, but Kate is able nonetheless to make waves. And so I am gently being rocked awake. I look down at her. She is smiling. Is she afraid because she has awakened me? No. She is filled with reckless confidence and so trusts her dad not to wallop her. (laughs) She also knows that if I did, she would cry and wake up everyone else in the house. And so she smiles fearlessly. Her gown is on backwards. It makes more sense to her that way, and I must confess it kind of does to me too. The buttons are now on the front where she can get to them. She rolls around making grotesque noises and giggling. She wanders up to my face and pats it to see if I'm still awake. I try to protect myself from being kicked in places I'd rather not be kicked but to no avail. The absolute worst thing that Kate could do at this moment is to wake up her little brother Will. So that, of course, is just what she does. He cries and I get up and change a wet diaper. But in the midst of this seemingly miserable morning, the Lord awakens something in me and bids me listen. He is speaking to me through my children. For the past year, I've been teaching in my concerts about becoming a child again. And now this morning, the Lord begins teaching me in a deeper way what I have been trying to teach others. I haven't been able to sleep this night. I've been worrying about a hometown concert the next day. Having exhausted myself worrying about that, I search my past for regrets and guilt. Later, I'll move into the future and concoct fantastic scenarios to fear. I was born, it seems, to worry. I know some of you can probably identify with that. But he said, my little girl like me couldn't sleep tonight, but her response? It was to roll around and play, to smile and tickle her little brother awake so that he could join in the fun. Is she concerned about her failures? No. Is she worried about the long, hard life that lies before her? No. For her, the present moment is all that there is. And she bids me join her there. And in my heart of hearts, I do. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said. Unless you change... Unless you and I change and become like little children, we will never see the kingdom. 
God calls us to have that kind of simple, trusting faith in Him. Like a child who trusts that his father is good and that there is that kind of fearless confidence in coming before Him because we know that God loves us. His plans and purposes for our good and He has promised to take care of our needs. What a beautiful reminder that is of how God wants us to live our life. And then thirdly, Paul says that God will allow nothing to separate us from His love in verses 35 and 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Paul goes through a long list of here when he asks these questions. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, none of those things. In fact, uh, you can put up the whole list of things. As you look at these things, what Paul is telling us here is that suffering can't separate us from the love of God. Death can't. Life can't. Demons can't. Rulers can't. Distance can't. Time can't. In fact, nothing in creation can separate us. The only one who could separate us from the love of God is God. And He won't do that. He won't stop loving you. And that's why Paul would go on to say, in spite of all these things, in spite of the persecution and dangers and famine and nakedness and sword, all those things that we face as believers in Christ, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Those words are in the superlative form in, he, in the Greek. Excuse me. When Paul says we are more than conquerors, he's saying we are super victorious. We are on the winning side. We stand with Christ and we are going to win. And nothing in all creation can separate us from His love. One of the early fathers who was one of those great heroes of the faith that I enjoy reading about was this man named Chrysostom. He lived in the late 300s to 400 A.D. He was called Chrysostom, which means golden tongue. He was a wonderful preacher of the gospel. And one time, because of his outspoken faith, he was brought before the Roman emperor. And the emperor threatened him with banishment if he remained a a Christian. But Chrysostom replied that you cannot banish me, for this world is my father's house. But I will slay you, said the emperor. And he replied, No, you cannot. This noble champion of the faith understood that my life is hidden with Christ in God, and you cannot take away my life in Him. He said, I will take away your treasures. And he said, No, but you cannot, for my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there. And he said, But I will drive you away from man and you will have no friend left. And Chrysostom said, No, you cannot. For I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. I defy thee, for there is nothing that you can do to hurt me. The emperor Eudoxia would have him banished. Chrysostom would die in exile one day. But he would die a man full of faith and confidence because he believed what Paul was saying here that I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, 
nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you convinced? And do you believe that God is for me? Can you personalize that and say that, that God is for me and He is at work in every situation in my life? Do you know it in your head? Do you feel it in your heart? And does it show it in the way that you live? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us each day to live out the truth of the gospel. To live with that kind of fearless confidence. To live in such a way that we understand how great is your love. That we are more than conquerors because of the work that you have done in our world and in our life. Father, I pray that we would be bold as your witnesses to share your truth and your love with others. I pray that we would be men and women of faith who trust you even in the difficult circumstances of life and by our testimony others might see the work that you have done in us. I pray that we would give you honor and glory by that kind of childlike trust in you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.